This week, we're excited to welcome Lauren Karen of Studio Laylock. Lauren shares her journey from visual merchandising to interior design and the culture shock of moving from the commercial world to residential. We love Lauren's perspective on leveling up to fewer but larger client projects. And how she's finding balance between taking projects for media exposure, creativity, or money. Let's go! Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Rensted Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the club. club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? Oh, the clouds have cleared on our society. (laughs) That and literally here, it rained over the weekend and it was like, the Lord is telling us to like, wipe everything clean, (laughs) bless this mess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was an optimistic weekend, for sure. I'm feeling it. Um, Yeah, like kind of segueing into fizzle sizzle, like, I don't know. I don't know if you felt this, but I actually felt worse. So Saturday, it was announced that Biden won the election. Mm -hmm. And just to tell our audience where we are in the timeline of the world. Yes. Um. I don't know. I felt like a lot of, I don't know, I got a lot more like kind of feedback from followers on Instagram. I don't get crazy political on my Instagram, but I do, you know, post some things and I don't know, some people were disappointed. And I just saw that a lot, like with a lot of different other designers, like after months and months of some, you know, some people are very like political and clear and, you know, it's their company. They should be able to write whatever they want, but it seems like a lot right. more people were like, um, stick to design. Un- yeah. And unfought, like, I guess a lot of people lost followers, which I just think is interesting. Like now you're unfollowing. I don't get that. Yeah. I, I feel like it's this like attract and repel like attract who you really want to have following you anyway and then repel the people you don't and i mean i don't know i'm I'm but i'm just curious why people like that was the final straw like i don't know would they have ever been your clients though i mean maybe i don't know i'm not i mean i'm not really talking about me personally like losing tons of followers because i didn't but just just the energy out there the atmosphere yeah Yeah. um yeah and then that combined with we're i'm gonna say in air quotes wrapping up our one room challenge (laughs) (laughs) is it ever really over oh my god um so we're at the place where like the entire dining room and all of its furniture is now in the living room which means like 
we have a piano and dining table chairs stacked everywhere <laughs> like yes. all of the lamps i've been collecting which i'll get is to, a lot <laughs> it's quite a few like about 500 books it's legit looks like we live in a thrift store i think that's the phase where in my household i start to feel hated because there's no zone that is safe anymore. Like every free corner, every spot to store a box of something mm -hmm. has been put out of the room I'm working on. And that's when I think it hits peak frustration in my household is uh, just yeah. Like <laughs> at least our bedroom. It. At least our bedroom's got finished. Well like yours is actually taken over by your office. Yeah, I'm I mean since I'm doing my office, I'm in the bedroom and I'm, I've really massively outgrown the desk during the course of this one-room challenge that I technically began back in August. That's <laughs> true. You've been doing it for a long time. It's been, it started a while ago with a lot of setbacks. And so I'm really ready to like fully unload into the new office space and be able to work effectively and like leave a mess that doesn't frustrate my family. Like Sean is really annoyed the oh, dogs see, are visually the dogs are actually i feel poorly about the dogs because they're really disrupted by like their beds have to keep moving because something has to go in a in a spot somewhere or they get moved around even more and they're like so disrupted like wandering around getting lost especially eames because he's like blind and deaf <laughs> so eames like goes to his normal spot and it's not there God, no bed. Damn yeah, God damn it. <laughs> he bumps his head on another box and turns around. Now what? Yeah. Can somebody like, tell me where my bed is. Somebody please. Anybody? It's really like it gets annoying. Oh. But we're we're getting close. You are having good things going on in your room though. Yeah, like my room is like a um you know, the, the biggest project is this like big wall of bookshelves we've been working on and the rest is just the same furniture we already had. So I don't have to do a ton of like styling or um, finding of things, except I decided I wanted a pair of lamps to go on the buffet. And Originally in this process, I have like tons of single lamps. All you single lamps. <laughs> all the single lamps. All the single lamps. Which are everywhere. Every Put store. You can up. always find one. Oh. <laughs> Put your plugs up. No. <laughs> Mom, not in front of my friends. Put your harps up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I might cut that. <laughs> Okay. Bomb joke alert. Um, <laughs> so I'm, oh yeah, so I decided I wanted, once I got the art figured out, I decided I wanted two. And I'd already worked with my lighting partner, so I didn't want to go back. And I also wanted something kind of, I wanted something vintage and kind of quirky. Anyway, I've been looking for the last couple weeks, every day for these perfect lamps and haven't been able to find it. But yesterday my friend Vince, um, just he thrift shops for fun and 
he's like, tell me what you're looking for. I'm going thrifting today. So I gave him his assignment and he came <laughs> through. Like thrift concierge. He was totally my thrift concierge. He was my thrift doula. <laughs> <laughs> and he got me two pairs of lamps. One I just had him grab because it was like, you know, you never, you can't come back. Yeah, one. I mean, once you left and then someone bought them, it's the regrets of a lifetime type of experience. Yeah, and it was like way on the other side of town. I wasn't going to go. So anyway, he then the second stop, he found like the perfect lamp, $8. I'm very happy. So you can't beat that price. You really can't. Now I'm going to spend 200 on shades, but whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good shades are an investment. And also, I feel like when you add more factors to like scale, color, fabric, shape, all of that, it they get really pricey very quick. And They're not going to be that great. They're probably not going to be 200. They'll probably be like 50 bucks each, which definitely outnumbers the cost of the lamp themselves. But I mean, but we do that with art too. Like the art can be less expensive than all of the work that goes into framing and matting them. And, totally. But it elevates. Like they're going to look fantastic like in the space. Low, yeah. And the shade could, most really well-proportioned shades could be used other places. Like if I can ever. reuse the shade, yeah. Yeah. Like if it's the right, I don't know, not, I don't mean like golden ratio, but I think you know what I mean where it's like, the right scale and dimensions Formula. tend to repeat. Yeah, like they tend to repeat mm -hmm. in design a lot. So I feel like, I feel pretty confident that you could find another lamp one day that would match that shade if the lamp didn't work anymore or vice versa. It's really hard to find lamps shades that fit. Like this one behind me, it's way too small. Yeah. Um, but I think what I think I'm going to do is like I have to get something local that's in stock because I'm out of time, but I think I might look at smaller harps too, so I can lower. Oh, that helps. Which I never yeah. really thought about doing that. So anyway. Very smart. I like it. Yeah. How about you? Um, Fizzle. I mentioned that LA was having a like rain windstorm, which was actually kind of lovely until we lost like half of one of our olive trees, like a huge main trunk branch combo all the way down to the root, split and pulled off of the tree yesterday. It was like at sunset, we were taking our trash cans out to the street because they get picked up today, pulled, them out, pulled it out there and I'm like, God damn it. Like just like, that is not what I want to see right now. Not cool. Um, it's not the end of the world. It's just no, but it's like time. It's money because they're expensive trees, but also time. Like you've, you have to wait a long time to get yeah a tree like kind of mature. Yeah. So our arborist is gonna come out and look at them because he was. You can imagine how busy he's been <laughs> since yesterday and all the windstorms. So he'll be out to look at it, but. We're already looking at it where now the tree is so unbalanced that it 
it may not be possible that the tree it can be saved, that it may be so weak and unbalanced that it's now an unsafe tree to leave anyway. It didn't hit the house, it didn't hit a car, it didn't hit people. That's the good part. The other good part is we've only, we planted them when we did a big landscape project when we moved in three years ago. So they've only been really there for about two years. So it's not like it's a 20 year old olive yeah. tree at this point that I'm looking at having to deal with, but potentially we will be having to replace that. Well, hopefully tree. he thinks it can get, can be saved. Yeah. And if he says, you know what, all the, yeah, if he says, okay, it's going to be weird for a little while, but it, it'll be fine. Maybe if he says, look, in the time and energy that you could spend making this one work, you could get another really great specimen and it's, you're going to be happier in the long run. Then I'm going to listen to his guidance on that. So I don't want it to be a weak tree that we kind of like hobble along i really we're only or just a few like years sticks in. in the ground for Ugh, barf no <laughs> like i would rather just know like okay what should i do instead just give it yeah. like rip the band-aid off give me the rough news um it's just a tree though like i'm not i can't get it's too right. devastated it's not a person it's not my house it's okay. yeah it's not like you had a hundred foot it, oak fall on your roof and roll down the side of your back patio and totally destroy relatable. your backyard <laughs> relatable content alert um so i'm feeling i'm feeling okay about that if not disappointed but you know it it was a it's a windstorm it's not like somebody accidentally did it so it's i can't really be well maybe it's a metaphor sometimes things happen to us in our lives that seem very devastating but you just gotta wipe the slate clean plant something new and Ooh. start a new growth. Oh, that sounds gross. But. Election metaphor time. <laughs> the more you know. Um, I like that. Yeah. Well, on the upside of that, speaking of like planting the seeds and like watching things grow, I was working out project timelines because we're heading into the end of the year. I legit have projects into that, like when you plan out the timelines of construction and all of that, we're into the summer of next year already. Like what? Pool party. <laughs> Hot young pool party. Um, wow. That feels ooh. so crazy. Like but I have a I sense of relief of like, oh, that's work. Like I have planned mm -hmm. work and time that will be paying me into the summer of next year and hopefully beyond because some of these it's like staged processes mm -hmm. like i don't want to i don't want to like count You're all the chickies before they hatch chickies. yeah yeah but there are some let's get through some phases of these because not my clients are real people with real budgets and not not doing full home teardowns and stuff that are like two and three year projects most of them within a year we're able to finish so I feel good that we're heading into that stage of project now like it makes me feel good you I should that's awesome I feel less anxiety about where the next call comes in like it's okay I have stuff that is going to be into the summer and then the fall of next year already like something's happening yeah but it's a long game and that's hard um to like keep yourself focused on that far out 
Yeah, that's that's not happening <laughs> for me. <laughs> I mean, I want to focus on the now too. Like, yeah. I don't want to get so focused on like, oh, that'll be great in November of next year. I want to stick stick in the now right. so I can enjoy it. Yeah, and also, you know, keep the ball moving because. Like you said, you never know. Things, circumstances change, and you just always have to be out there. Yeah. Being out there. Yes. Keep myself available. Keep myself in front of people. I'm here for that. Um, so I'm feeling that's that's a good energy to take into this kind of rollout of the end of the year is like, well, it, it has been a shit show. It's been a pretty complete shit show, but it has some highlights in the shit mm-hmm. show also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it ha- I, I weirdly, I don't know, I weirdly have appreciated a lot, like, in terms of pandemic life. Obviously, people being sick and scared and kids not going to school, like, people that are losing their jobs that's not a blessing at all right but i do just appreciate the slowdown and like i don't know kind of the excuse to be closer to home not running around willy-nilly i don't know like anytime we go out it just feels more conscious and purposeful purposeful yeah Mm -hmm. it's i mean i'm not going full slow living I, I can't do that. <laughs> like, I appreciate no, the people who can live that setting. way. No, I, but I can appreciate people who like that. And I can appreciate having some of that in my own life where I feel like I'm making conscious decisions because I need to. And if I were in the like instant world we, we usually live in, I wouldn't always stop to think about those things. Right. I think the default is being home and settled versus before it was there's a hole in my schedule i need to fill it yeah and so, what could i do with this time or where could i go yeah so like i don't know it used to feel wasteful i think to be home this much but now it's like wait this is actually how we're supposed to be i always think like back to when i was a kid or teenager even in college when i was in school well, we didn't have cell phones, and I always think, like, how did that work? Like, I lived through it. I did, went through college without cell phones. But I think we were just home more because we were. And the default wasn't, like, always running around. I think the cell phones are what allow us to never be home. It's, yeah, constant access. I don't need to be home for that phone call. I don't need to be home to check an email to make plans like someone like you can be out and about and someone's like Mm want to grab a drink and you just turn right instead of left like right and then you can get a hold of your spouse even if they're not at their desk at work you can get a hold of them and be like hey i'm gonna be 30 minutes behind i'm gonna stop and have a drink with a coworker before i come home and you don't feel yeah so like we were just really untethered i think because of that but now i think it's like kind of switched back and I think it's more healthy for us. So, all right. So the plums living the 
living the slow life into I made one, but I only made one loaf of bread. <laughs> I didn't make any, so kudos. Like, no, I do not. No, no, I'm not much of a baker. I don't have I'm time either. anymore. It's actually pretty easy. No, I know. I used to make um, macarons. Those aren't easy. Oh no, they're not. That is like macarons, four to six not hours. Macaroons, right? Not macaroons. Macarons, the French yeah. little like. Oh hell no! That's way. Oh, too they exact. take. They take. It is a science experiment, and it takes. Yeah. If you want to make more than one color or more than one filling, four to six hours. Period. And they're like tiny souffles. Like they'll just you yes. can really make them terrible. Like the next time someone goes, oh my God, why are they $3 at Whole Foods? Then you need to realize all of the work that goes into making one little delicacy. Why do you think they're like a sign of the aristocracy? <laughs> like, right. They're so time consuming to make that unless you could have paid a professional pastry chef to make them, that's a whole day's worth of prep and baking and everything that goes into it. I know people who make the almond flour that goes into them what? from scratch. Like they make their own almond flour. I'm like, who the hell has time for this? But they I will. Don't even like them that much. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm not a baker for that. I just this, don't have the energy for this that This week's anymore. bakery chat. Let's um, get into let's our episode. Let's get into our epi. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Um, our guest today is Lauren Karen. She's the owner and the principal designer of Studio Laylock. And Lauren has a fascinating start to her career in New York City, working in luxury retail and designing displays for companies like Tiffany and Bergdorf Goodman. And after a decade in visual presentation and a move to Seattle, Lauren set off on her own to build a residential design firm. We really love talking to her. We're Instagram friends. It was really fun to get together and have a little chit chat. Totes. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you Hi, for Lauren. having me. So excited to see your face and not just be typing in DMs. <laughs> I know. It's a, I'm a little nervous that I get to see you guys doing this. So. Oh, it's. I mean, oh, don't I'm literally be. wearing a house coat, so don't be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I put lipstick on today because it's the I first conversation I can have with like lipstick and not a mask. And so. face to face. I know, but sometimes I don't mind mask life because it makes me less self-conscious of like, oh, I didn't trim my beard today. And then I'm living in mask life. So I'm like, oh, they can only see a little bit by my ears. No big deal. Who cares? Like, It's true. Give me under yeah. disguise. There's days <laughs> when I'm like, do I have stuff in my teeth? Oh, it really doesn't matter because I have a mask on. <laughs> nobody cares. It, well, we will care for ourselves if it's like that because it bothers you or you look in the mirror later. But yeah, new mask life, especially for site visits and stuff like that. So let's just kind of kick into your interior design journey. Can you tell us a little bit about like your background and how you got into this business? Yeah, so I started out in visual merchandising or retail mm. store design. And I originally was studying illustration and then fell in love with that as like a opportunity to do art and to make money. 
So I moved to New York and I went to FIT, which was a visual presentation and exhibition design program. And I, I started working at Tiffany's when I was still in school. And then I finished mm. and was working there full time for about four years. And I was on the the creative visual merchandising team and I would design basically anything that the jewelry sat on so it was mm. not necessarily like the fixtures the big display fixtures but it was anything that like you would put jewelry on in terms of like the neck forms or like the ring forms or anything like that mm. oh, and cool. um, then we would do some window displays like I would do some of the smaller more like personal window displays not all of the rollouts but there was a couple towards the end where I did some of the larger rollouts and I wanted to work at Bergdorf's. That was like the real reason why I moved to New York. So oh my, gosh, my yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my director at the time, he had given me, I think I've already talked about this, but he gave me like an informational interview with somebody at Bergdorf's and I went to that and um, that was, I was very unexpected because they were actually hiring. So they pushed me on to someone who is the director of all non ready to wear and she covered decorative home and beauty and jewelry and like men's store. And so I worked with her and I covered decorative home beauty and then the main floor after she left. So I was at Bergdorf's for about three years and I loved the job, but I really wanted to work in like store design. I really wanted to work people on a personal level and not just mm -hmm. like design displays for like Saudi princesses and everything. <laughs> so, right. um, I wanted more of like that personal connection. So I decided that I was going to start my own design firm and then, and I decided to leave Bergdorf's and initially I did, it was like two parts. It, one part of it was still store design, retail and displays. And I was working with different stores while I was doing that. And then another part of it was residential interior design. And um, that's how I started. I was there, I was, did that for about a year. And then my husband got a job in Seattle and we moved out to Seattle. So, um, so and I originally, so, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, did you just like teach yourself the residential interior part? Well, in college we studied a lot of interior design programs like we had drafting we learned all the rendering programs mm -hmm. um we um we had autocad and i also took like a business major in addition to the major that i had before and in that business major it was like a fine it was a museum management major so we mm. studied business but also like art history and i focused on architecture and interior design and i had already like met all my creative electives so I tried to like create my own interior design program and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that's the best way I could explain it. Yeah. And so when I was working, we were doing a lot of very similar like working style, I would say to interior design, but the residential part, I basically had to like teach myself how to work with clients and, um, I don't know. It was like, it was kind of easy to go into it because I was always like at Tiffany's, my role was pulling all the fabrics and going to all the showrooms and working with all those mm -hmm. vendors and really like had relationships. So even when I transferred over to Bergdorf's, I still had those relationships. And then I was able to like keep them through residential design. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say 
the biggest learning curve was whenever you're doing like corporate design for corporate you have like so many levels of approval and so many different people that you have to prove your design is good enough for but when you work with clients like they're they're coming to you as the expert and so if you're like i think we should do this usually um they like they're like oh that's great i like that idea and i remember at first i was very confused like, oh, you're not oh, really? confused, but I was like, I was like, you do, That's you don't it? need me to give you like every design. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was like a big kind of learning curve because it was like my confidence had almost been like battered down by working in corporate for mm. so long. I had to like, I always had to come in with like three different backup plans to like mm -hmm. say like, oh, this is either like this design is the right design or if this design's not the right design, here's the other designs that I can present you with like immediately. A and whole business um, case every time you show up to present like exactly well, and the pol there's politics involved and people the bureaucracy and weird stuff. Yeah. yeah yeah so that was i would say like the the greatest kind of like initial learning curve and then a lot of the other stuff like figuring out markups figuring out what to bill people um God, there was just so much. I remember just like trying to figure it out as I went and just asking like other friends that were also designers that I was working with at the time. Um, and if do you guys know about home polish, did you ever do any home polish work? I, I never did. It, I but didn't, I but I'm very familiar with other designers <laughs> in LA who had that all go down. Yeah. So I actually was a home polish designer early on too. So in the first year, I had a hotel that I was working on. I had Bergdorf's was renovating their main floor. I had a tattoo shop in Richmond, Virginia, and I was doing a jewelry store in Alabama. And then mm -hmm. I had home polish. So I was taking on home polish projects and it was really just to kind of like get my feet wet with um, residential design. And yeah. I think that like first year I had like 16 or 17 home polish clients at a time and it was just oh my God. insane. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I, you know, it was New yeah. York. So like there was a gamut of different clients and everything, but sure. I was, I was killing myself that first year, I, I would say. Um, and then when we moved, we, I was still going back and forth for the first six months cause I still had contracts. Like the hotel didn't finish out until um, the end of 2016 and Bergdorf's didn't finish until like December of 2016. So that was almost a year that I had to go back and forth very consistently. Oh my gosh. And I started taking clients in Seattle through Home Polish because I didn't know anybody in Seattle and yeah. that was fine. But like my goal ultimately was to like have the least amount of clients and to make the most amount of money from them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that sounds awful, but cool. you know, like larger no, projects. <laughs> so I was tired of doing like a room here or another room there or like the add-on services that Home Polish did. And yeah. a lot of those clients that came through, like didn't come, they were the way like Home Polish would work because it was like a dating service. So they would kind of like join you up based on like styles and aesthetic, but nobody was really like working with you because it was your own personal style. So right. Um, so it's that like was a my swipe other left, swipe right type of totally <laughs> behavior. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this will do. Sure, why not? And yeah. you don't really know who's landing with the right personality, the right project. There's none of that vetting going on. Well, and I love hearing that your background. I didn't know all that because that totally makes sense in your work. Like, you are so like detailed and like 
I have a background in corporate um, marketing departments and like product kind of marketing. So like you have to like be so minute and meticulous and you're looking at the smallest of things when you're especially diamonds or like fine jewelry, like it's so (laughs) tiny. So I can see like you're working at that consideration of every detail level, which I really love in your work. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's really when I was doing jewelry, we focused on like everything. We did a lot of like any of the fabrics within the cases, you know, how is like the velvet going? Like every single little detail really Mm -hmm. mattered. And um, being really like strong with your design point of view or like your message really mattered too. But like then you could kind of fill in in with all the details and every little detail kind of tells that story. Um, I would say another thing like with the Bergdorf's, they didn't allow logos in the store at the time. And I don't know, I think they've started shifting, but a big thing with doing any type of presentation or design for displays for different brands is that you really had to tell that story through like materials and finishes and texture and nothing Mm. about like the actual logo. So if you're designing an installation for Chanel, you're really thinking about the different, like the, what are the common trademarks or like pillars of the brand aesthetic? And obviously Mm -hmm. like the color, the ivory and black is always in the logo and or their packaging, and then they also, you know, the tweed that, and everything. That, like that. suiting fabric is like, mm-hmm. everybody does it now, but they did it first and best type of idea. Like, Yeah. So yeah, so, it's like an extension of the fashion design itself. That's cool. I yeah, that. so that was a lot of, and I also worked a lot with like floral designers and everything for displays, so that kind of explains why I really like floral arranging. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a whole space in your house to have more room to do it. I did. <laughs> I feel like listeners might recognize it, even if they didn't recognize that it's yours yet. If they are looking at that pink scullery, like you oh, like yeah. broke the, you like broke the internet with that. <laughs> well, thank you. I, that was going pink was the right move there. So that's um, the perfect, like moody blush. Yeah. I love that room. It's I spend a lot of time in there. So um, <laughs> when you were talking about like kitchens, I was thinking, man, what about scullery? Why are you guys throwing that in the mix? When like your favorite things to add to a kitchen? What's I the was, difference I between a scullery the, uh, and a um, like butler's a pantry or a butler's it, pantry? Yeah, it basically is. I mean, you didn't throw the word out. I was waiting for it. But um, the second kitchen that for like doing dishes or the kind of back of housework, that's a scullery basically. So, and then the butler's pantry, I think is like kind of like the, um, it's in between the kitchen and, and the, the dining. dining room. And yeah. it's really like setting, like putting, getting the food ready before it goes to the guest. And that kind of Got thing. it. Right. It's not or bringing crap. things it's... out, setting them down before they go to the kitchen. Right, yeah. We did a butler pantry in a New York project that is really beautiful, but yeah. Do you feel that different or the difference with the architecture from the East Coast and West Coast? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, like, that's like my <laughs> naivete. Like, I grew up in Orange County, like, track house developed. Like, we do not have... <laughs> There's not, not have a lot of architectural that. detail... I mean, there are the neighborhoods for it, but it's usually like the older historic neighborhoods. But they're like maybe from the 20s. 
Yeah. yeah. That's an or old even if you look at like San Francisco where you're like, oh, Victorian era, like, yeah, okay, that's old, but they lost a big part of the city yeah, through fire and earthquakes. So yeah. it's like this weird identity that we don't see as much, but I know that you have, you're finding that in Seattle. I am. I mean, I think it's, it, Seattle has a lot of the same things. Like if you look kind of through their history, there was some several fires there were earthquakes. There was like the Denny regrade, which is when they changed the, like basically the landscape of going from Capitol Hill down to downtown. Mm -hmm. And they just tore out a ton of old like architecture and collaborate buildings that were from, I would say like turn of the century or late 1800s. And mm -hmm. um, I think now like what we see in Seattle is a lot of the um, revival versions of colonials or yeah. Georgian houses, and they are 1920s to 1940s in some like mm -hmm. 1950s homes. So they've been made to look like some of these more um, like like classic colonial architecture and everything that you see in New England. And that's like a breath a breath of fresh air for me. <laughs> I don't know. I like I'm such an East Coaster at heart. I grew up in a small town in Connecticut and you know like that town we only have one running stoplight and we don't have a gas station still so no? yeah <laughs> it's like more cows than people it's like a dairy town um and it's my house was 1801 that I grew up in and mm. I just have always been around like kind of older homes for most of my life and then living in New York there's such nice like old architecture and even every apartment that we lived in was either I think we lived in an, an Italianate building which was 1800 1850s I think and then or more like 1870s and then we have like our apartment in Brooklyn is a pre-war so it was I think it was like 1920 um, and yeah so like the architecture is really different it was um, it was hard for me at first, I think, because if you're like so used to where you grow up and then you kind of have to get used to designing for different types of architecture it can kind of give you a little bit of a head flip. And then in New York, like most of my work, you would design within that space and you didn't have to consider the other architecture of the actual property. So mm, yeah, like you can kind of create a jewel box within any New York apartment. Yeah. I love the idea of like slicing apartment buildings in half and like looking at what every floor looks like. Yeah. Oh yeah, like a dollhouse effect and just yeah. seeing, like. <laughs> but like in Seattle and moving out and doing like art um, design for homes, you have to really consider like the entirety of the home and the architecture. So. Um, How do you do, and, and it seems like you really go deep to do that. Like how do you do your research? Um, first I start like quickly with Google and Pinterest and then I have a lot of older books that I like to go back to and um, I would say like my mom is like a really great inspiration and she loves to talk about history and architecture so even like just a week ago I have a stack of books under my, my computer but she just sent me a whole book on Georgian houses so mm. um, I feel like books are really a great place to start just because they're not you're not focusing on trends and obviously if you're doing research that's where you can kind of um, find some good books to deep dive in and yeah. I also try to like buy books or find any books that are old like if I'm at antique stores and there's anything about like history of 
furniture decoration or different like Thomas Chippendale style furniture, like anything Mm -hmm. that's kind of like focusing on like some historic archives. I love to kind of like dig into that. So um, yeah, like following you in your own home, like you dug up original photos and trying to like piece back together the history of the home and put it back together again. Yeah. You just find those in like city archives and I found that I think I was like, I forget who told me about it, but I know Seattle and I think a lot of cities you can search by tax records. Seattle you have to like specifically email this one woman that works in the department and and she's in a like basement under yeah. one light. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) And I emailed this woman. I was like, I would love to know if you have any pictures of my house from whatever eras. And then she's like, I have no idea what we'll find. And then a week later, she said that she had a couple pictures from 1937. So they sell them to you for like $10 or whatever, or like 30 cents or something. They're not really making, yeah, it's not a big moneymaker for them, but residents want it and tax dollars pay for it. So yeah. I mean, it's like interesting too, because they, I think they did it when they were doing tax, they were surveying for taxes. So um, mm-hmm. it just depends on what year, but even in New York, like they have that, those records and you can kind of go through the New York city kind of archives. And um, I've looked at every single apartment building that I lived in, in New York, like I lived in a big loft in um, Bushwick and they, and that was like an old factory. And so mm-hmm. like, I found that building and then there's one from like my Upper East Side, two apartments on the Upper East Side that I got pictures of. And one of them was like early thirties, I would say, because of the cars. And then even our Brooklyn apartment, there's some pictures from like the fifties. So that kind of stuff I just love to do because I don't know, it makes me get excited about the building and to kind of think about like what it used to look like and before the eighties happened. (laughs) Right. Like Like the original intention of so many bad remodels. Yeah. So I try to, at least with older homes, it's kind of like a good way to get a good direction to go in. So you can kind of say, okay, this is the original intent of the architecture. Mm -hmm. And then how can we use that as like our like borders or guidelines to how creative we can be within those guidelines. Um, Yeah. And also I heard a quote one time, I think it was Nate Burgess said, you shouldn't be putting anything into your home in terms of like architectural or permanent details if it didn't actually exist at the time that it was built. So like Mm -hmm. finishes or different types of materials. So I think about that, like if my home is from 1916 and so I wanted to have stone countertops, like I don't know, like um, composite countertops is not what I want to have that are like vacuum packed or something like that. But uh, that's like a good way to kind of think about it. Okay, well, like cement existed and, you know, tiling existed and stone existed and that kind of stuff. It's like another good guide to kind of make sure that your home will always be timeless when you're doing the more permanent details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... (sighs) It's a it's a weird struggle because I I think as designers we're surrounded by all these new cool innovative even if it's just not new products but they're of the moment and you get excited about them and sometimes you just have to know like I can appreciate this because it's beautiful but it's just not right for 
this home or this client or this project. But I feel like we get so much input at us at all times that there's almost like an overload. Yeah, totally. I like to see, like if I see something I love, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take that and then I put it away for someday that I get to use it in another project Mm -hmm. or something like I have yeah. all these little favorite things and I'm like, oh, this will look great in a home someday. Or if you see like a fabric and you're like, I will design an entire room around a piece of fabric that doesn't exist. And the client totally. Exist. I'm sure <laughs> you guys don't do know the same. Who wants yeah. this dream project? I've already designed super <laughs> discounted design fee. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's only going to take me 20 minutes to pull it I've, all together. I've already done this whole plan for you. I mean, that's you... basically what like home remodel shows do. Like they have yeah. the design in the bag and they just like plug it in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they're like, look, we put this one picture of your family in here this is totally just personalized <laughs> so, for you so personality. Like, no I roll <laughs> knew exactly extreme. my aesthetic um yeah uh, so I mean and I will say like to contradict that what I said before like if you go to Paris all of the kitchens are brand new and they look amazing yes. in these like houseman apartments but um yeah I uh I don't know I feel like in the states like we can't really get away with that too much <laughs> Maybe in like a New York apartment or something, but. I think it's like the foundational pieces have to be so good. Like if you have like original white oak herringbone floors in your Paris apartment, like and amazing molding details, like anything will look good with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It can go super modern and it just is like, oh, that's just a juxtaposition. Like, I don't know. But like the builder builder basic stuff that like for where I am, a lot of stuff popped up after World War II and the architecture mm-hmm. is not interesting. The, the styles are <laughs> you mean, like, like, no, well maybe, okay, down, okay, in Orange County where you grew up, yes, there was like, a lot oh, of like 70s track development. cabinets, and, yeah. But like for around me, a lot of these areas filled in with these like post-war yeah. little like cracker box like exactly square boxes and every third house was the same exact it's like the house my six-year-old yeah 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 it's a box house that yeah your kids can draw it's very simple two windows on the front door in the middle yeah and there's nothing special about a lot of those so it's this like urge that people want something special in their homes Mm mm-hmm but also then you see it go too overboard you can't over design yeah. yeah like yeah. you can't turn it into this mid-century modern structure when on the outside it's still you know a ranch it's a post-war little ranch yeah yeah um it's true i mean i think about we have a lot of those in seattle too even on our street like our the street that we live on there's a lot of craftsman homes and tutors and then when you turn the corner they like added this street it was I think it was like a dead end and then they so just went turned through. the corner yeah they went through and they added this street in like I would say like 45 or 46 and everything and like every single house there's three different styles they're all kind of like one two three one two three and they're I would say they're probably about like a thousand or twelve hundred square feet originally and then people yeah. have added on to some of them but um I've always kind of looked at those and been like I would never want one of those houses, but I would love to like take one and completely redesign it for a client and to like really understand like how would you bring this home up, but still appreciate the original architecture, which it wasn't about aesthetics. It was more about functionality. 
Totally. Um, Efficiency. Yeah. Like being a good, sturdy, new place. Like that's what was the selling point. Yeah. So, um, and I have like, we have a neighbor that we're friends with and he did a really good job on his house and he kind of added some mid-century details and like a little more interest and he painted his house like almost black which I think is a trend that I'm not really into but it looks really good <laughs> but he added like a metal content roof. Alert. I know controversial <laughs> content. I love a black house but I'm also like they're like the new millennial gray kind of like everybody painted their houses that weird dove gray kind of color I, and then... I just did that with a client and they were like what do you think if it was like really modern and I was like I was kind of thinking it, what if it was a little bit more nodding traditional like <laughs> and it t- it was like they ended up going that direction when I was like I just feel like in seven years you're gonna go oh look we painted our house seven years ago and everybody can tell the year we did it or the the span of time we did it in because of that and that just seems to me like such a big investment for something to pass so quickly totally I agree I I, and there's I think the out exterior black house movement is definitely a 2019 2018 thing that we're going to look back on in a couple of years and say like oh somebody had a great idea that they thought that they were being like a rebel by painting their house black it's gonna it's gonna feel very dated um but i don't know i mean i think there's some where they just like they look awesome and i love it when people do like almost black and then their trim is black or there's like some type of like depth in the color that they're doing yeah um Versus just like my black house. So. Yeah. Or like green, gray, olivey backgrounds. Mm, yeah. I had a client that wanted an almost black house and a couple of years ago, and we found like a really good dark, dark, dark blue, black, gray. And I love it. I mean, I think it was good because it was kind of, I was like, why don't we just like do this? You know, it was like easing them in a different direction. And I think it worked out. So. Hey, Sean, have you signed up for the Hot Young Designers Club newsletter? Oh, no. Really? Is this you not wanting to clutter your inbox with a lot of excess junk? No, no. Let me do it. Where do I need to go? You need to go to hotyoungdesignersclub.com. Scroll down until you get to the subscribe button. Just pop in your email address and your name. All right. I'm doing it right now. Is this going to be a bunch of spam? It's not. It's actually not going to be anything until we actually get around to sending something. But we have big plans and we want to be able to send surveys to get feedback from our audience. And maybe once in a while, a special surprise or a recap. All right. I'm on it. Thank you. Back to the show. Many of our listeners would we think are like in their first to third years of business, which we kind of are in that same place. Um, how would you say that you've grown your business in the past few years? Um, so I would say like in the first years, like I was saying that I had a lot of clients at a time and I was doing a lot of small projects and really my goal was to kind of narrow down and try to have longer lasting projects and less clients Mm -hmm. and I've definitely been able to do that um 
And I would like for growing my business, it, I'm still mostly myself. I have an assistant that works with me a couple days a week. I would love to grow and have at least like two people full time. I don't want a big design firm, but my goal is to have like four or five people total in the company. And I would say, is this kind of like advice for people that are starting their business type of a thing or, or just or kind in the of early like, years. Ne- like how to up level up yeah. level. Um, gosh, I, I mean, I am always trying to reach out and seek people to help for like mentorship, I think is a big thing. Mm-hmm. I've always fallen into this and I don't know if this is my fault, but I'm in this place where I feel like there's people who are newer than me in their business. And then there's people that are a lot further along than me in their business. And I've struggled with finding somebody that's kind of like the next level above me. So I did Mm. a lot of like my bit of growth kind of on my own and really trying to um, think about like branding and understanding, like really going back to like, what do I want to do as like in my business, how do I want that to run? What do I want my client to look like? What type of clients do I want to have? What type of projects do I want to do? And I try to like always refocus on that. Even every time I get like a new client client inquiry, I'm thinking like, okay, does this client fit into the brand that I'm trying to move into in the next five years or so? And sometimes like I gave myself, I think in 2018, I decided that I was going to do a Marie Kondo of clients and kind of say, okay, these, the clients that don't bring me joy, thank you so much and goodbye. And then keep the ones that do. And it was a little bit stressful because I knew that I was going to have to take a dip in income for a certain amount of time. But like, if you allow yourself to be open to new opportunities, they will come. And Um, that might sound like totally privileged or something, but I had to kind of just keep, um, telling myself that, and it definitely worked out for me in 2019 and it's still working for me now. So I mean, saying um, no, do you find that you need to say no a lot? I, and how hard is that for you? I do. And it's hard. (laughs) I, and some Rebecca's (laughs) asking for a friend. It's so hard to say no to some projects or like I have to talk myself out of it by asking them enough questions. And then I'm like, no, 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 they're not right. But um, I, and I think about, cause you guys do a lot of those consultations and I've been thinking about taking that on, but I also know from working in corporate and like luxury, like how do I keep, I want my brand to be really super elevated and luxury, but how do I do that? And then to like reach the, um, what's the word, you know, how you have like your, there's the customers that are the ones that like can't necessarily buy the handbag from Chanel, but they can buy the lip, the lipstick and the makeup. Right. They're the aspirational client. Right. So like, yeah. how can you as a designer, even if you're just a small design firm, like a, ha, be approachable and have those aspirational clients, but not affect like your, your ultimately your brand's image. And I think that's something that I struggle with because I definitely want to do super high-end projects and, um, and luxury that have really high budgets. And because I loved, like, that's what I really enjoyed doing when I was working in luxury. So, um, 
I try to only focus on like large scale renovations and not take on small projects. But then I've, since the COVID has happened, I've actually thought about like, how can I do these consultations? Because technically like you're meeting with people and then they become clients for you. It's like a form of marketing. Right. And um, I think also since the pandemic, it's really changed like what people think of luxury. Cause I think like even those like large design firms that have been around forever, I heard we're starting to do consultations and like virtual design. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've so, seen that. Sean and I have this debate a lot. Um, it's comes get, down. To, we, we get, get going sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes down to personal preference. I think mostly um, yeah. if you can put boundaries in place. So like, I love, like, I have a big community of women that I just know from mom's groups and past work. And, you know, I know a lot of people in Sacramento. So my name gets passed around a lot. And no, not everyone can do a full project. Mm -hmm. I can't do everyone's projects. So Mm -hmm. I still enjoy, I don't know. And I also enjoy the, like, I don't know, improv of it all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's designing on the fly. Like two hours goes quick, and you're oh, throwing yeah. out your best creative process ideas. No and some are, like, yeah, no. some ideas are bad, <laughs> and you just are like, "I'm just warning you." You're just so confident. You're like, "This is great." <laughs> like, well, but it's just, like there's no, like there's no like I guess risk really in it. So less risk, no limitation. Like they know they're you're not gonna redesign their whole kitchen in a two hour meeting. Like it's yeah. just not. But possible. I have done so. two hour meetings where people are like, Okay, we can go DIY our kitchen at IKEA or whatever right. and no kind of basic finishes that they can look at. Yeah. Um I think the what like my opinion on what you're ask or saying is you just have to put really strict limits and boundaries on yeah. what that means and make it really clear to the client. Like if it is just popping on a Zoom for an hour, that still feels like it could be an, a luxury experience for them. Right. I, mean, I think it's, you. it's something that I personally struggle with, but I feel, feel like if you're like once you can, the first few years in your business, it's all about like figuring out how to have the business, like figuring out how to work with clients, um, client experience, like pricing properly within your market um, and within your ability and confidence level a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. And then like markup and like also just figuring out how to like make money on furniture. And then there's this point that I came to that I feel like a lot of people come to is like, okay, now I'm figuring out how to do this as a job. Now, how do I which direction do I go? Do I want to be like the most creative designer and like try to work with the clients that have the budget to make me the most creative in certain ways? Or do I want to be a, a, like, do I want to do well in a, do I want to have a business that's really successful? And so what does that mean? Like, is that something Mm -hmm. that is working with more clients that that are like more approachable design? Um, Is it like, for example, Studio McGee, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, like they have been in business for five years. I started my business in 2015 as well. And, yeah. you know, they have 99 employees and I have like 0.5 employees. Yeah. Right. So, like, and then they I, have all this empire built around the masses. But their goal was the about growth and scalability. Yeah, like you're right. Yeah. Like it is like a 
it's not you can't have both i don't think right i think you Unless can you're have Kelly Wurstler. <laughs> well or you just also, have to separate them like yeah. they have to be able to operate independently then so you can yeah, still be like that creative the, mind exactly. label. and then have all of that running it's like but there's when also, you label a wine. It's like CK or Calvin yeah. Klein. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about fashion again. But even like Kelly Worcester, like she obviously, like she had a business partner who was her husband and she started out mm-hmm. with the hotels. So like that got her name out there really quickly, right? And then yeah. she she's grown and shrunk a couple of times. I had a friend mm-hmm. who was um, her store director in um, – Melrose, I think, was it, is it Melrose, that store? What is that on? In West Hollywood. But, you know, like, and Kelly is, she had a line at Bergdorf's and so she would come to the store a lot and I've met with her and she's like, she had a whole clothing line that grew and then Mm. she pulled back and then she was doing accessories and then she's pulled out of Bergdorf's and it's like, you've seen the, the growth and the, the way that she's kind of, yeah. And she's like done her business differently. Um, but she's always kind of she developed like a strong sense of style and that has been like that, it, that has been strong throughout, no matter how big our business is or how small our business is, she has a really strong like aesthetic and mm-hmm. obviously her clients are always going to be a certain type of client. Um, right. So I think there, I think for anybody that's really starting out, like you kind of get to a point where you really have to figure what that is and there's no right or wrong answer for anybody, you know, like it's just what you're most comfortable with and what you enjoy doing. And sometimes I think I should be more business minded and being more formulaic in my design. And then I go back and I think like, no, like for the first 10 years of my career, I was pushed to be more creative and to come up with different designs every single time I did a new project. So that's kind of my comfort zone. So I like to do, to make every single client's very different and Mm -hmm. to really think about how I can kind of stretch my creativity each time. Um, So I ultimately am probably going to go down the the road of never being a super big successful design firm, but I'd love to just be like a well-respected designer and to get projects that I enjoy and always always have people in line. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I answered your question. <laughs> no, it helps. Like that was like a great conversation we had had on DMs, and I, I struggle with this too. But like ultimately, knowing my personality, I've learned a lot about my personality being in business by myself for the last three years. I was in a partnership before. So now I know like, okay, these are really your individual strengths and not so much strengths. And I get (laughs) bored. I can't like do anything that's going to be formulaic or I will get bored and over it. So Mm -hmm. So, that sucks. I I (laughs) I know. I'm like, I think about like people are, I'm like, oh my God, I, why am I not doing, I don't know. I just, and even like there's certain designers where you see, everything that they're selling is like, even just on their websites, it's like from Noir, it's from Cisco brother. It's from these, I know where all of this furniture is coming from and there's probably right. an easy way that could be like, well, I could start an online website and have, you know, drop ship or drop something ship, like yeah. that. But it's, I don't know. Like I still feel like I'm building my style and my aesthetic before I really want to start being like, this is, these are the three types Pretty. of sofas we typically use or these are yeah. the, yeah. Like, um, this is the Studio Laylock, whatever, right. aesthetic. Or this is the 
line that we offer yeah. and it's not so limited to that yet. I mean, the, maybe it I won't say, ever be. Right. It may not ever be. I would say who does it really well that it's kind of like inspires me is Nikki Keho. Like they, uh. <laughs> they have like amazing, beautiful pieces that I would put in any one of my projects. And obviously those are custom at custom designed at one point. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they will resell them and they reuse them in their own projects. But every single thing they do is a little bit different. So yes, um, they are one of my favorite showrooms to visit here. Yes. I, I, I mean, Rebecca, I think you and I have talked about this. Like, like yeah. you're going to come, you're going to schedule an appointment. We're going to go <laughs> in there. It's just, I will link it in the show notes for anybody who doesn't follow them or, or hasn't seen some of their stuff, but there's just something so weird and like different and it it like I mean, makes more you like art or like they're feel like something. sculptural and yeah yeah I think well I love that it's like so LA but it is so not what you would expect from LA is what I feel like their style is and um I don't know I just like it feels a little European it's kind of just that like um they're like a little in and what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. But they they don't take things too seriously. And I think that's a big deal too, as far yeah. as like being mm -hmm. being able to make, like it's our lives, it's our homes. And I don't think we need to be super serious about everything that we do. And sometimes totally. you like look at rooms that are done by designers and you're like, okay, that's a designer's room. And like, they did not just like relax a little bit. Like it's so contrived where I feel like yeah. their work is not contrived. Um, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Rebecca calls that the Studio Plum magic, where <laughs> you like leave room for. That. Well, maybe I do. I call it that more oh, now after you described like leaving room for the magic in design of like leaving yeah. room for something to pop up that yes. you're like, this is not what we planned. It's really unexpected, but it works, and it's then it then makes the space feel. Ye I mean, totally. it's a lot of, mostly the styling I leave that to, but like Sean and I have gotten into like conversations, like one room challenge, especially because he I'm wants it done like a month ago <laughs> and I'm, he's like working ahead. And I'm like, no, I like to like, I don't know, be flying a little bit by the seat of my pants, like, and not know and like be on my toes to like. And then have something you, magical find me. Like you yeah. get that motivation with, like, special pieces. of finding something cool. And you're like, oh, I don't know that if I had three months to pick that, I would have picked that. But now that but I'm wanna, in this vintage but store it's a lot and I of found vintage it. Stuff like, that like finds you, you know? Like, yeah, definitely. I, I'm kind of it. in that realm, I would say. Yeah. Um, by the way, I think it's the treasure color <laughs> your room. Yeah, I'm like, dying. <laughs> I think it's going to be one of these. Ooh, wow, that's unexpected. I like that. Um, so, yeah. Sean and I went on a journey yesterday about it. <laughs> we, we, we did a, she was like, okay, FaceTiming. And then we were, we just, sometimes you just, well, it's inspiration just, I guess that's hit. part of it. Yeah. Like that, I have to feel, I don't do this with clients because I'm not as emotionally invested, but I have to feel, a little like tingle at oh, some point that. in a project. Yeah. So, and that's why I love treasure hunting. That's why I love vintage too. Um, I don't know. There's just, I just feel like things just kind of like find you. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, 
I definitely am kind of that way where when I'm doing a lot of it happens in the styling. So I'll have like an idea yeah. of how something should look, but we don't actually source the pillow fabrics until we have the room together or we're like, we don't really decide on like, what do the lamps look like or what did some of these accessories look like? But mm. um, even just like with certain case pieces and antique stuff, like you can just be like, I know I want something that feels like this in this room. And then if you go to antique stores, it might come up there. Or if you're just looking online, um, I'm thinking of, I'm working on a bathroom project that we designed this like upstairs renovation for the primary bath and um, the bedroom. And then it got put on hold for like so many reasons. Like there was health issues with the client and then there was a divorce and there was just like Ooh. so much that happened that it's been two years since we got it approved. Oh my God, it's and, a totally different project now. Yeah. And so then I've gone back through and I'm looking at some of the selections and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get more creative on how I'm going to do this floor or obviously like the antique um, display cabinet that I wanted to use for like bath towels and whatever is sold. So we're trying to find new <laughs> stuff and, and it's almost like making the design better. And then it kind of just feels like a little bit more, it feels like more fun to me because we have a plan that's already there, but then we can kind of like push it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And um, even the bedroom, like we were obsessed with this chair that we selected. And now I'm like, do we want to do a custom chair? Like, like I'm just getting more excited about changing that chair a little bit. You know? I mean, so, you already got them pushed ago. up to that limit. And so yeah. now it's like, oh, you got comfortable at that zone. So now let's just go a little further yeah, past that. Like, and I mean, the client's totally on board for it. She's amazing. Like she's one of those clients that's like hands off, but loves everything you show them and oh, awesome. has a good budget. So um, someday Dreams. that project will happen. <laughs> Yay. It's supposed to be breaking ground on November 10th, so we'll see. But I feel uh, like there is a really long inroad on a lot of projects that I don't, I don't think like the, I, I guess the mainstream of interior design that you see on Pinterest and TV and Instagram or wherever that doesn't really get talked about so much of just, yeah. I mean, you're years before the project, even the first hammer swings or the first shovel digs in. And then there's so much more that adapts and grows as the project comes together. Mm -hmm. And there, there is a lot of on the fly changes or decisions that happen. And we're, that's not talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, I would love to talk about timelines with you guys, because I feel like that's something as a new designer, like going from working in a company where like everything I did was a portfolio piece to starting my business and realizing like 5% of the work that I do is a portfolio yeah, piece. Yeah. Um, and the struggles, like the real struggle of the arcs of projects and having to be patient. Um, I mean, I have some clients that are home polish clients and I've been working with them for five years now, like four years. And, oh my gosh. and I'm like, can this project just get to a point where we can photograph it? Because, and those are the ones that I've stuck through with because I knew that like they were worth it and the photos were going to come out of it. But I think that's a big struggle when you're building your business and you're building your aesthetic and your brand is actually getting photographs. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, like I just finished a project in New York and we were working with this client for over four years. We did her apartment in New York city and then we did her home upstate and it was incredible. I worked with a partner who's an architect back in New York on it. And, um, then COVID happened 
and we had everything scheduled for May for the photo shoot. And it was like, I had a photographer flying in from Seattle. I had to fly out the week before I was going to do all the, like all the photo shoot prep all myself. And it's a 12,000 square foot house, like everything. Oh my God. So I had budgeted like all this money for this photo shoot and then COVID happened and we canceled it obviously. But I don't know when I'm going to go back and do that. I don't know when the stars are going to align again. I don't yeah. know if the clients are still going to be interested in doing it. Right. So, like, yeah, it's a big ask to be like, you can't really be here for a week or mess yeah. with stuff. While like, is it I all installed, all like styled? The house is mostly styled, but there was a lot that I had to come back, come and do myself. And, yeah. you know, like clients don't always like live the way that you plan for rooms to look. Oh, so. Reach. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot that has to either happen with like bringing things in or taking things out. Sean takes all their art down. Yeah, I, I mean, I've done that too. I I can't <laughs> jive with bad art taste and not, uh, granted, I'm I mean, not like some aficionado. Like, something really terrible that doesn't work. Right, or we've talked design. about like the families who like to show all their family pictures like a canvas not... portrait of their yeah 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 their... like the the two by three <laughs> wedding portrait that was printed on canvas Blah, no no, no. Like, i mean I that's just... the other thing too sometimes like there's designers that are like no we select the art and yeah. i like i'm starting I mean, to wish that to i was that designer like that, but... <laughs> yeah but there's some cases where i'm like no art is personal like you can put what you want up on your walls but you also have to be not offended when i take it down for the photo shoot yeah, <laughs> I guess that would be a good conversation to have and like a relationship with somebody you could borrow art from. Right. So that you like design totally. with it in mind and let the client know like, I understand you don't want to buy this $10,000 piece of art right now, but we're going to put it in the photos. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's definitely like there's that aspect, the amount of cost that photo shoots are. Then again, photos are really our only marketing. So like you're going to drop five thousand ten thousand dollars on a photo shoot and that's and you do like one a year and that's your entire marketing budget technically it's not bad or if you do yeah, especially a if year. it's a project that really speaks to what you are capable of and want to keep doing more of yes, one a yes. twelve thousand square foot house that's a lot of content yeah, <laughs> and yeah you like... can trickle out those photos <laughs> really string that out so people you got get like the five full... bathrooms yeah well yeah because yeah, a one baths. portfolio yeah <laughs> a portfolio folder <laughs> yes. on a website is not going to be that many photos like right 12 and 20, even just like but yet all those extra pictures to share with people yeah i mean it's worth it for your instagram I mean, yeah, it is though. Um, I've also, and I don't know how you, how you guys think about this or not, guys. I hate saying that, but I'm getting better. Uh, we go, think you, about this. you guys, y'all, um, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I I'm trying to work with one photographer because I really mm -hmm. want to because that photographer's aesthetic really dictates like how your website looks, mm -hmm. and so I feel like that's important in brand, too yeah. in your brand. And then I really only want to spend the money on the projects that I want to hopefully get press on and mm -hmm. then hopefully those will bring the more clients of what I'm looking for so I feel like I've held out on getting a lot of work photographed in the last five years just because things obviously don't come to fruition for various reasons or it just takes um, it has to be right and I have to feel like it's worth the money to spend well yeah it's totally an investment um I've been like going back and forth between taking my own photos. So I'm trying at this round for one room challenge 
just so I can do more photography. I know it's. I take my, my house, home. But. I take pictures of my home, but I'm yeah, hoping to have projects. my home photographed. Yeah, like I'm hoping to once I finish my entire home, having it professionally photographed. Yeah. Um, and then, and I don't know about because I think you guys get a lot of press from different places, and I heard you talking about this last time. And I mean, you were just in. Was it Sacramento mag, um, newspaper or magazine? Magazine, Rebecca? yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. And there's certain types of um, magazines that will only take, like Lux, for example, they will only take entire homes that tell a full story. Oh, right. um, Like, I think, obviously, like, El Decor and some of those other magazines are the same way, like Architectural Digest, unless you're working with a celebrity, you're not getting picked. And there's just yeah. like certain... you, you might get a little picture for like one question or something. Right. They... Or they'll put you in clever. But I think yeah. that there's, and that's another thing that I think about too. I'm like, okay, so I, I don't want to photograph my house until it's totally done because I want to have it go out to one of those magazines that's going to like do a big standards. Story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think a lot of what I've learned about having my business is being patient. <laughs> oh, well totally. yeah I know I I know I have a couple of projects that I'm like considering going back to photo shoot but it's also like so hard to go back like oh yes I feel like I'm gonna have to redo a bunch of stuff and I'm trying to like decide if it's worth it I don't know it's tough I mean, yeah, you have to other... just say if it's gonna get you the push that you need like oh are these photos gonna help get the next more. person are they going to help show people more of what i can do and sometimes you're like this is a great project it's just like no right. one's ever going to see it except the client and that's that's okay yeah or sometimes um so i started working with a woman who does press recently and i thought it was interesting cuz i think um a lot of people still do their own press and i I think that's great. I'm apparently, that's my weakness is right, reaching out and asking for stuff. Hence why I don't really have many sponsorships on anything. But um, I started working with a woman and she, basically you send her images and she'll tell you like what she thinks it can get, um, where she thinks it will go and if oh. it's worth it. And then she'll reach out to these magazines and different like, um, press agencies or whoever and then if they get picked up then she charges you so oh, and she'll charge you for it. it's like fee she's for service like, type of model yeah she's amazing um her name's sarah and she I'll, I'll send you guys i don't know what her last name is but she basically is just like you reach out to her hey i have these photos and i really want to try to get this published where can i do and then she's like well she had a conversation with me about one project for example that i photo I shot last year that was the story is really interesting because we basically took this home down from an, it was a 1900 square foot uh, single level ranch home and it was like 90s build and so it had some kind of like craftsman details but it didn't really know what was going on and we took everything down but one wall and rebuilt this house and put a second floor on it so now it's 3300 square feet um, everything was like as custom as we could get but it was within a really tight budget overall and um i think the home looks great it's not entirely my aesthetic in terms of like it doesn't have a ton of patterns and a lot of color but it's a beautiful home the kitchen's nice and everything 
And I showed it to her and she was like, okay, so it's not a really low budget home. So we're not going to be able to get it into magazines where we're really talking about low budget because they did hire a designer and they did hire contractors and they did spend a certain amount of money to do custom work, mm -hmm. but it's also not really high end. So mm -hmm. she said it was like right in the middle of that like zone where it probably wasn't going to get picked up. And right. she did push it to like Martha Stewart and a couple other magazines and it didn't end up getting picked up. So hmm. I thought that was really great for like a learning experience for me in terms of like what I want to photograph too, because I figure, okay, so I spent close to $5,000 on that shoot and um, I'm using it for my website and for Instagram and for other like materials that I have for my business stuff. But it really... I don't know, going forward, if I have a project that I feel like is within those parameters again, I'm probably not going to spend mm -hmm. the $5,000 on the professional photographers. Like, or I'll right. grab a couple photos of your favorite like vignettes or whatever and call it yeah. a day. Bounce out of there without <laughs> keep that, that $5,000 in your pocket instead. Like, yeah. Oh, and have the like, and end result of the publication in mind, basically. Yeah. Before you which, shoot it. And so I guess that's kind of like what I'm, it helps me also to narrow back into like, what is my brand? Where do I want to go? And if I, and if, and if I can't get it out there in the universe, then how is it serving me? So, um, and if I do get it out there in the universe and it's not my real strong style, then also how is that serving me? So. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't have to shoot everything. Not everything's yeah. going to get press or attention Right. And then there's a fine balance between over-investing in that process and yeah. knowing when it's okay to say, like, I need content, but this isn't the content I need. Exactly. Well, and whatever you put out is what you're asking for more of. So <laughs> is that what you want more of? Like, really? Right. right. Yeah. I'm happy to collect the paid invoices from the client projects that never see the light of day. Well, yeah, because that is Cause my goal is to get paid. I mean, yeah. like, I obviously want to work as a creative, but the yeah. whole point of this is to get paid to do that. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, the most important thing is portfolio building and pictures. Right. Like, it's that's not the, the most important thing for me at all times. I also want to be able to support my, my lifestyle and contribute <laughs> to my household like, exactly i mean well there's like the, what's that graph what is it a venn diagram or this a three circles mm -hmm. that go uh, together that's my so, favorite thing yeah so there's like that graph where what i was starting out somebody would say okay you take projects based on like one of them is portfolio or press another one is um creativity and joy and the other one is money and if mm -hmm. the project doesn't fulfill two of those, mm -hmm. then don't take it. So, and if it does fulfill only one, then like how much of that one does it help you? Like if it's super creative and you're going to love working on this project, but you're not going to make any money and you know, you're not going to get any press from it or any, like it's not going to get anything um, in terms of let's say content. Do you have other projects that are making you money? and doing and serving you in the ways that you need. Or let's say if it's just like really, really good money, is it gonna, are you gonna hate it? Or are you gonna still get some joy from it? So I try to kind of also think of that when I accept projects and when I say no, because if I get a client in and I'm like, oh, this would be really fun to work on, but their budget's not really great, which is gonna make it really, really difficult or like their timeline is crazy or, or something where 
it, and, it, and it doesn't fit any of those boxes. And I try to just say like, you know what, this isn't right, but I'll try to find somebody who I think is right for you. Or yeah. is there another way that I can help you in a different like No, that's way. a smart way of looking at it. So I like that picking priorities. And I think mindset. too, like quarterly or whatever, you can kind of analyze where you're lacking. Like if you've been only picking in these two categories and you're really light on portfolio, then you need to like try to yeah. find that one that's more portfolio worthy. Okay. So the burning questions. Yeah. yeah. So these are quick fire style, just getting your brain a little bit more. Um, number one in one sentence, how has your business changed as a result of COVID-19? I would say the biggest change I've seen in my business is I've actually grown my Instagram account since COVID. Um, I had a goal to get more followers this year to get to 10,000 and my scullery, which helped got me on Domino. And then that put me past 10 grand. And then now I'm, I've been just kind of that snowball rolling down the hill. But I think that being home more and having that little bit more time during COVID and being able to focus back on really thinking about like my Instagram account and trying to get more engagement and to get and to engage more with my followers has helped in that way. So, um, and in terms of the business aspect, I've been getting a lot of new inquiries because of it. I can't say that they're all turning over, but definitely I think the ultimate goal is to have more inquiries will turn into more turnover and clients. Yeah. That's awesome. So what have you done for professional development recently that you would recommend to our listeners? Books, podcasts. Um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. Your is one. And then I listen to this one called Well-Designed, Well-Designed Business. Have you listened to that one? Mm-hmm. Um, and Lou, I think her name's Leanne. Luanne? Yeah, Luanne. Luanne Aguera. Yeah, Luann Nagara. So she's her podcast is really helpful. She has so many episodes, so I try to go through and pick my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I listen to the Business of Home podcast kind of frequently. And I think the, that Cherish started a new a podcast recently, yeah. which is about kind of the interior design universe. Um, yeah. I listen to the the ADS DEET, which is not so much business, but it's a lot about historical knowledge for interior design, which I love. And um, I've been, I've recently finally hired a bookkeeper. Yay. And yeah, <laughs> I've been doing all of that myself for the last five years. And um, I would say, we were talking a little bit about branding and I have a really good book that I can recommend. Oh yeah. It's called Branding of Interior Design. Let me grab it really quickly. Let's see if it's the one that I have. Is it a yellow cover? It's by, by sorry guys. It's by Kim Kutabal. Oh yeah, Visibility and Business Strategy for Interior Designers. It's a uh, really good yes. book. Yes, this is a great book. And I go back to it kind of frequently when I'm um, trying to decide what clients to take or what, um, what I should be doing next with my business and my brand and everything. So cool. That's we'll link one. that so the listeners can find it. Cool. I actually have that book and I've never read it. So thanks for the reminder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Cause you just did a rebrand 
yeah. Studio Plum. And I used it a lot for my rebrand when I changed my business name. So, okay. Curious, what does Laylock mean? So, Laylock, so I did a rebrand because my initial business was called Union Adorn. And so it was oh. the concept of like we were working with a union of designers and it was about creating beauty and a lot of it was more for working in retail and commercial projects because you mm. hire so many different um, vendors and, and fabricators and companies to kind of create this to have projects come through and all of that. Um, and so I wanted to focus more back on myself and have it be more of like a personal brand, but not named after me, which I think is um, important if you want to grow in the future. So mm-hmm. Laylock is... L-A for Lauren, L-O for Lothrop is my middle name, and C is Caron. So ah. it's technically my initials. It felt French, and I like that it was like a strong singular word, and I feel like um, if I ever have a store or a shop, it could be shop Laylock, or I could kind of do different um, forms of the word, but it will always have Laylock as the major word. Yeah, I kind of felt like it was like your name, but I was couldn't figure it out. So that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of like Goop. <laughs> yeah, well, also, I was like, <laughs> Goop, she was like, what was that thing about how like all these, um, the successful businesses that were internet businesses had the two uh, O's the, in it? Yeah. So she did that, yeah. and I was like, well, it's kind of similar, but I don't want to be totally like Gwyneth Paltrow. You could have been La Luke. <laughs> no, no. La Luke. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um okay our third burning question what's one design element that you've been drawn to lately like materials objects anything um i feel like it's such a trend right now but i've been definitely drawn to scallops um yeah i would love to do like some type of upholstery with some fun little scallop bases um and on the skirt and i also really have been drawn to yellow and it's funny because I've hated yellow for so many years in interiors. Um, I, I really want to use it in a kitchen. Like I want to do a yellow kitchen or I want to do a yellow scullery or a yellow laundry room or something and like really strong yellow. Mm. But I also do love like buttercream, which is kind of yellow, but I, yeah, I want like an intense yellow something to design. Ooh, yeah, I feel like the colors, like, it's just like the cycle around the color wheel. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm just always curious about my own, like, leanings towards colors and accepting mm-hmm. or not. Like, I'm starting to, like, accept purple a little bit, which I've oh, never me too. loved. I've always <laughs> hated purple, but totally. Okay. Is that hot? Like, I'm color wearing my leg. Like, yeah. I feel like if it, it has to have a lot of red in it. Yeah, yellow. I enjoy red. it as a mm-hmm. purple. Like the blue purple is like purple purple. No way. I couldn't do right. that. But. <laughs> I know. It's funny. Or psychology of color. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you could live in the set of any TV show or movie, what would it be? Um, oh, I really, I always go back to this. So in The Handmaid's Tale, the kitchen that they have. Oh, yeah. With like, it has the greenhouse, the, the greenhouse connected. Like that is like my favorite space oh, of yeah. any show. I want that mm-hmm. kitchen. Um, like that could be a showroom. Like that could, could be, be. I mean, I, I could see that being in New York. Like that's the way the store looks and there's kitchen goods yep. like being sold kind of, in a place um, like that. 
it's, I mean, there is a little bit of that going on in New York in the plain English showroom. Has it? Like, yeah. It's in a townhouse. They have a little. Actually, they have a yellow scullery in the back, and it's like it has a little bit of a window to the back of the garden back there. So Ooh, it is. Yeah. Totally. And also, I think this might be a total lie, but I feel like Goop saying it again in London in their what's that Notting Hill store? I think they had a similar thing, kind of like the greenhouse going on in the back of the store. I love just, that. Yeah, I love it. I would love to have like a conservatory attached to my kitchen. <laughs> well, and it would just be like such pretty light in Seattle, like even when it's rainy, like yeah. just kind of like I mean, glow in there. But yeah, that show's great. I feel like the Queen's Gambit, I actually really love the house that she lived in. Even though none of it was oh, my I style. Oh, I the wallpaper. Yeah, and it's. Just I like, loved watching how they shifted the set when she took it over. Have you gotten that yeah. question? Or did yeah. You yes. Yeah, I finished it. Um, like how she the, just switched the wallpaper out and made it. Anyway. It was good. I felt like it was really the details were really good in that show. And the set was like, I mean, were you following like all the checkered patterns on all the fabric? Like the first two or three episodes, almost all the fabrics were either a check, a plaid with like strong graphics. Very subliminal. I didn't catch that. That's really <laughs> Go good. Check it. It's really wow. great. Like I love that. I usually catch stuff that stuff. And, yeah, yeah. It's cool. The set like, team every, you know, had a really fun job doing that. Show. They were definitely yeah. telling a lot of the story. So yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. I th- I felt like that show was really good. And obviously like Ratchet is like, they're in Tony Duquette's house in LA. And I think like the third episode and yeah. ugh, I would love to go there someday. So more is more. Good, ones. <laughs> good sets. Um, okay. Last burning question. If you could save one non-living object from your home in a fire, what would it be? One is hard. Um, it used to always be this map that my mom gave me that's of Paris from like before the Eiffel Tower existed. Like oh. the map isn't really worth anything, but the frame is worth a little bit. But I always love that piece. <laughs> and um, so that was always like my one thing. But then she also gave me this nurse portrait. Um, she was a French I think nurse from like World War One, and so I have that portrait which I recently framed, and I feel like those two items like I could never get back. So, um, yeah, I oh, like I the stories that. with all of that. I know you have such great art. Thanks, my thanks to my mom. <laughs> I know thanks to the pod, the cross. You gotta hold pod. on to that stuff too. <laughs> you gotta make sure that like someone's got to hoard it in every family to make sure that it gets passed along we're not having kids so i have to give it to my niece or something so make yeah. the, you just start infusing the love of all this stuff now so they really want it yeah be the next caretaker well lauren can you tell our listeners where they can find you yes um my Instagram account is studio laylock that's studio l a l o c my website is www.studiolaylock.com. And I'm also on Pinterest under the same name. And I think I'm on Facebook, but I try to stay away for political reasons. <laughs> I only go on for the marketplace. So, same. <laughs> I'm just here to creep cool stuff that's for sale. I don't want 
anything have you, else. <laughs> side note, have you heard of the, um, there's a Chrome extension that it's called the um, Facebook feed obliterator? <gasps> no, I haven't heard of that. So you can put it on your, you can load it into your Chrome and basically all I see is the top and the sides and there's no feed. Oh, that's perfect because that's what, I know that you have groups on Facebook and I'm afraid to go on Facebook. Yeah, totally. But you don't have to really fight or feel terrible about. I just just blocked somebody this morning, so. Oh, that's gonna, it's gonna be a busy blocking weekend for a lot of people. (laughs) Get your block fingers ready. Just get that obliterator and then they're all gone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all I see is my groups, my marketplace, the notifications are amazing. Still there. Okay, yeah. that's that's like the best tip of the day right there. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Rebecca is up on early adoption technology. She always finds it first, and then she like wants well, everybody to know it. about it. So yeah, if it's like good, that. I'm gonna share. Definitely. <laughs> well, thank you cool. so much, Lauren. It's so great to see you and talk to you. Yes, thank you so much. It was so great to see you both too. I feel like we've been texting a lot on the gram, but yeah. And I listen to you, you both from the podcast, and I'm always yelling at you, but you don't know that. (laughs) Feel free, (laughs) feel free to send us send us a voice a voice message or feel free to correct us. I'm sure. No, it's need a fact check. Not a lot of that. It's just a lot of like (laughs) I want to join in. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Thank you. We really you. appreciated having you. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, really, I'm really honored that you invited me on the podcast. So thank of you. Of so course. Much. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. Do you like when your patients look at WebMD? And I should have, and that should be my next one is like, we can't look at the WebMD of interior design. This isn't WebID, like we don't. We don't have cancer. <laughs> like. <laughs>